Hello and welcome to the full 90. Uh, Trish is away this week. My name is Kieran. I'm hosting and uh, this week we're joined by Dom again. So welcome Dom and how are you going G? Going good mate. Going good. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Uh, I, I like doing these little, you know, uh, I, I like to call it the, the Chicharito roll off the bench, come on, score a couple goals, and then you won't see me for another couple months. So whenever you need a, a 90th minute goal, I'm here for you. Come in for the glamour and get the highlights. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, babyface assassin, <laughs> that type, you know. So might as well stick right into it because tonight the Socceroos and Matilda's play. So um, we're going to be um, watching those. Uh so we'll go straight to the A-League men's for the weekend. And up first, there was Adelaide United versus Brisbane Raw. Who caught this one? Yeah, I did. Adelaide United have gone on some sort of a run in the past month. They've gone unbeaten in their past four A-League encounters. And they've just been playing really well. They've got some youngsters that have been standing up. And even though Stephen Moore looks like he'll be out the door and off to pastures new at the end of the year, he still continued to perform. He hasn't put the queue in the rack or just given up yet because he knows he's got his move secured. So, which is really good. That's positive. You want to see your senior players guiding through the youngsters throughout the end. And Brisbane Raw, are in some trouble. I did make the claim early in the year that there'll be a sneaky chance for the finals and it's not looking likely at all, but that's going to happen. I feel like the problem with Brisbane Raw is they're not accurate in front of goal at all. They had 11 shots per game and one on target. And it's kind of been the tail of the season, but they can get the ball into dangerous areas and just cannot finish once it's there. Yeah, 100%. Um, Adelaide, obviously, are looking pretty decent for a final spot. Uh, they, they could be losing, yeah, another player, as you said there, but they've recruited pretty well. I don't think we can read too much into the game. Obviously, the Raw, you know, they're, they're kind of in the mud at the moment. They they could resurge at any moment now, especially given their fixtures this weekend. But it was, it was a good performance for Adelaide, and that's what you expect to beat the uh, the teams lower down the table. And Craig Goodwin found his way into the soccer squad on the back of these performances recently as well. Yeah, we scored a brace over the weekend. He's been in brewing form this season, so absolutely earned his spot into the side. What do you reckon he's going to bring to the Socceroos tonight? I mean, this will come out after the game's finished, but Gustav uh, Ball's out. What do you think will happen? In terms of how Goodwin's going to have an yeah. impact in the game? Uh, I don't see him starting. He'll probably come off the bench and be sort of like an impact player, a bit of a spark off the bench, but I wouldn't expect him playing a full 90 tonight. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect him. Honestly, I'd, I'd be surprised if he came off the bench because you kind of see Arnie. Or he he does tend to go for like these little X factor players. I know Goodwin is more of an X factor, but I think if anyone's going to come on um, and and be in that role, it might be Attilio because in the uh, press conference during the week, he was really raving on about how he can just play about everywhere and he can really come on and change the game. So if there was to be someone in that role, I think it would be Tilio and Goodwin would just be there, maybe for a bit of insurance or backup in case of a COVID case or injury. So moving on to the next game of the weekend was uh, the Big Blue. It was Melbourne Victory versus Sydney FC. Uh, it was a home game for Victory. It was 2 all. Did you guys get along to that one? Didn't get along to it. It was just another game I couldn't get to in person. We watched it on the TV. Um, really competitive show. And the Victory hadn't played in a while. So it, it didn't look like they had rusty at all. It didn't look like they'd missed a beat. You couldn't tell, but they hadn't been in action. They seemed to play out the full 90 pretty well. I think Sydney FC served the right up to them. And once again, Sydney FC just... They always seem to play well against the Victory, no matter where they are placed in the ladder. They always seem to get the dub or a point at least against them. And still, the Victory have not beaten Sydney since 2019. Yeah, it's a bit of a parallel compared to our other rivals, Western Sydney. We always play absolutely shit against Western Sydney in the derby. But then come against Victory, no matter where we are and where Victory are on the ladder, Sydney always turn up. And it's really good to see 
Um, a bit of crowd involvement back in it. it looked like the, the atmosphere was really buzzing. Obviously, a few negatives from the victory fans, but it, it was really good. It kind of reignited the season a bit. You could kind of tell it was almost like a re-kicking off of the season. You know, it, it was really good to see. It's scenes that we haven't really seen uh, since the pandemic. Yeah, and it was good to see Ninkovic and Bobo getting the score sheet. I think when you're in trouble, it's always the veterans appointed first people to get the fingers pointed them going, well, it's gone past them now five times, caught up with them, but it seems like they've still got plenty of football left and they played really well over the weekend. We're able to have impactful performances. And the draw was a fair result, you reckon? Fair draw. I think it was a pretty competitive game for our. I think that's a draw would be... I think both... I feel like both sets of fans and both players and the coaches would walk away from that feeling of a point was deserved. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have been a draw if uh, Redman didn't make that incredible save from... Oh, it was, it was Tommy uh, Hewitt-Bell, sorry. Uh, Redman was on international duty. So credit to him stepping up in the big moment, saving that shot from point-blank range. That's the only thing that I could see swinging it towards, you know, victory and their fans saying that they should have won. But without Hewitt-Bell there, I definitely think victory would have ran away with it. So it was a really good contest. I enjoyed it. And moving on to the next one was Wellington Phoenix getting a 2-1 win over Western United. Uh Phoenix sort of just keep keep surprising every now and again, don't they? Yeah, this was a surprise result as far as big as a surprise result as far as the season's gone. I don't think too many people would have backed in the Phoenix coming into this picture, but credit to them got the result. They'll tune it up before 40 minutes into the first half and they just got the jump early. They were on the back foot pretty much throughout the whole game and just went with the storm out beautifully. And Paulson, the youngster between the goals, was came up with crucial save after crucial save. I think he finished the game with seven saves. They've got a lot to Thanks for him just to keep the win because he's great performance. And he's been really good since breaking onto the scene. Obviously, they thought, I guess the Fiends were probably, we all assumed they'd be in trouble once Sale went down, who's going to come in between the sticks. But this youngster had just stepped up brilliantly for him. Yeah, and I think for Western United, they'd be kicking themselves they didn't get a point from this. Just looking statistically-wise, they had 22 shots and eight on target. And uh, they're on a two-game losing streak right now as uh, Wellington broke their four-game losing streak. And they come into this weekend against City, and it, it's it's not looking the best for them if they can't convert their chances in front of goal. City looking a bit resurgent, and it will be a really interesting matchup this weekend to see where Western United are at now when they're starting to get all their players back. Yeah, it's never ideal when you have 22 shots on goal and then you finally score in four minutes deep into injury time. That's never a good sign. Was it 22 good chances or were they kind of just like swinging from, from long distance and stuff like that? I didn't catch the game. So it sounds pretty damaged when you have uh, one goal from 22 shots. Yeah, we would have had eight on target, but you'd expect well, eight on target, you'd find a net of them at least more than once, given how yeah. dangerous positions they got themselves in. So next, um, the other fixtures of the weekend were Melbourne City, Central Coast, and Perth Glory beat Sydney FC in was that, a, was, that a, was that a delayed game that one? Yeah, so it's actually um, for in Melbourne City's um case, they're playing a round 23 fixture early and Perth Glory were playing around seven fixture late. So I guess they're just trying to fill in games and make sure even if it's not a, a fixture that's supposed to be played that round, while well, we can make up games just so we can keep playing, keep the season going. Yeah, I think just from that Sydney-Perth game, obviously it was uh, Surridge's first appearance in about 60-odd days. He looked really well. He looked a lot more comfortable on the ball. He was tracking back in midfield a lot. He, he, he intercepted a couple of passes. So I think that's a really positive spine for Perth. Obviously not so good for Sydney. It was a pretty poor performance uh, considering the circumstances. But you got to take the positives there if you're a Perth fan. Sturridge um, should be fit and firing very soon. And if he's at that level, he's going to be one of the best players in the league by far. 
he's just gotten diagnosed with COVID as well, hasn't he? So forgot about that. Wow, yeah. Is, uh, is, is put the queue in the rack for now for Sturridge, but hopefully he, um, he recovers quickly. He's been pretty optimistic about it on social media, so it doesn't sound like it's too bad a case. No haircuts for him, I'd say so, for the next two weeks. He'll be absolutely <laughs> spewing about that. No anything for him for the next two weeks, but <laughs> yeah. So looking at the fixes ahead, we've got um, Brisbane versus Western Sydney, Western United versus Melbourne City. Sydney versus Central Coast, Newcastle versus Adelaide, Perth versus MacArthur, and then a few postponed ones um, due to the FFA Cup this Saturday. So what do you guys reckon is going to happen this weekend, presuming all games go ahead as scheduled? Presuming all games go ahead as scheduled. I'm expecting um, Sydney to have a – to bounce back and get a win this week. I feel like it's like a complete performance in the Sydney of old is coming. And I feel like the Central Coast Mariners is absolutely a great opportunity to prove that we're back. They've stumbled through the blocks a couple of times against the Mariners. I think it's going to be third time lucky for them. And I'm seeing Sydney pick up a big result there. Yeah, I've got to agree with you there. In the uh, FFA Cup semi-final a couple of weeks ago, Central Coast definitely deserved to win. They probably should have been two or three goals up if Redmayne didn't have one of the performances of his life. So Sydney will be looking for revenge. And it's just one of those things. I don't think they'll lose two weeks in a row to, you know, a state rival of sorts. And there's always a bit of banter between both fans. Uh, one prediction I want to make is Brisbane being Western Sydney or Western Sydney hatred aside from me. Um, I feel like if they can get a win and start to build a bit of momentum, get off the near the bottom of the table there, I think this is a perfect opportunity to do it. Carl Robinson's under a lot of pressure. He's on the hot seat there at Western Sydney. If they lose and Newcastle win, they'll be bottom of the league and it could spell the end for Carl Robinson. And hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> If you're a medium or long-term listener, Dom was the first person to put Carl Robinson in the hot seat and he's not stepped back since. I did, I did. So I feel bad if he gets sacked. I don't want to see anyone lose their job or lose money. If he gets paid out, that's fine. But if Western Sydney keep him in charge, they're going to keep being bad. So maybe I should stop bagging him out. Well, Carl Robinson's not doing himself any favours. I feel their best result came against Melbourne City. He wasn't even on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good look, is it? It's like... Yeah, you don't want to be the guy who's not at work when it's a really good day. Well, I feel like Western Sydney are just the tease of the competition consistently. It seems like every year it's going to be the year they break out, they're going to make the finals. They'll have like a patch of like four or five games where they look phenomenal. I mean, they can, they can never just get it for 20 games plus. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's psychological or there's just systems in place at the top of the board that prevents on-field success because it's just all the distractions happening off. But I don't get what's happening at this club and the pressure's on and you hope he gets a result and pressure's on Warren Moon a bit from Brisbane Raw as well, given their position as well. I think it's a vicious cycle for Western Sydney. They always make a really big signing or they get rid of all this dead wood in the club. All their fans are back out of their, you know, their, their humbling, their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when an animal comes out of hibernation? That's the word. They come out of their hibernation after they get knocked out of the finals or don't make it. They make a big signing like Jack Rodwell and, it just all goes, they, they win a derby early in the season, but I think the fish head uh, rots from the head down. I think there's a lot of problems at the executive and board level that's preventing Western Sydney from competing at the top level again. So I think Carl Robinson obviously is a problem right now, but there's big problems that Western Sydney have. They have similar problems in the W League too, where they, they've got a good enough list, but they're sort of limping along a little bit. Um, this week they lost to Perth Glory 1-0. Uh, it was a pretty remarkable Perth Glory goal, but they did have West Sydney on the on, on the ropes for the whole game. Uh, in the end, Deborah and Della Harp hit a really massive free kick from pretty tight angle and just went straight into the goal. It was like barely any dip on it, just like hit it like a rocket. 
So Perth are in the hunt for a, a top four position in the, in the A-League women's. Adelaide United solidified their top four position, which they've never finished the finals before, so they're looking good for that. And I think all neutrals hope they make it. And then in the top of the table clash, which looked like it was going to be the game of the round, Sydney just absolutely annihilated Melbourne City. It was only 3-0, but Sydney were never in it. They never really fired a shot in anger. It's, it's unbelievable just the depth they have in that side, given they've got crucial players out on international duty at the moment. And then just to come in and still win 3-0 just goes to show the quality of this team, just how deep this squad bats. Yeah, well, Anto Urich plans ahead. So last season they lost Claire Wheeler and Teresa Pelias, who were their, their best, two of the best central midfielders in the whole competition. And they didn't miss a beat this season because they had players ready to step in, like Mackenzie Hawksby and the signed Sarah Hunter, who's only just just 18 and just finished high school. And then he signed a lot of wingers and everyone thought, why are you doing that? Because you've got such a stacked forward line already. But with them all getting caught up to the Matildas, he's just got players ready to step in and they're internationals as well. Like Cote Rojas plays for Chile and Paige Satchel plays for New Zealand. So he's got full captain internationals as his backup forwards. He's just like, he's stacked that squad and it's, they're just purring like a well-oiled machine at the moment. Anybody else got anything from the women's one? I'm um, just, just no, just on Sydney. So obviously that was a massive result, but then coming into uh, this weekend, uh, going against uh, Melbourne Victory. So they're playing. They played second. Now they're going into third. I think this will be the real test if they can get over the hump here and have another convincing win. I think they'll just absolutely run away with it, like they are already. So it's good to see uh, one Sydney side do well. Hopefully the men can learn a few things from the women. I'll tell you that. I know Sydney fans don't want us to jinx it, but and I've I've said this about clubs before in the past, but. There's not much stopping them going undefeated this season in the, in the A-League women's. And um, I mean, last year said it was about Melbourne victory and then, you know, everything went, went downhill for them. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. If Sydney get past Melbourne victory this weekend, then there's nothing to stop them finishing on top. There's nothing to stop them finishing on top undefeated. Yeah, I was a bit worried about City, to be honest. Um, you know, Sydney and City have been two of the better sides of the recent years. I thought this would be a real close contest but Sydney just proved their their quality this this game and hopefully they can bring it to victory as well and keep that undefeated streak going because they've only had one draw this season and seven wins so it's it's looking like a real amazing season from Sydney so they've only considered the one goal too in the whole season so that's one of the games this weekend in A-League Women's and then there's Newcastle versus Canberra and then Newcastle haven't played in quite a while so that'll be really interesting to see what happens Perth could continue their push for a top four position against Wellington but Phoenix played really well on the weekend against Adelaide and um Probably did most of the attacking overall. So that could be tricky for Perth. Then there's Brisbane and Melbourne City. And that's another one could go either way, I think, really. But uh, Western Sydney versus Adelaide should probably go to Adelaide in the end. All right. Moving on to the forward press. And Melbourne Victory have been fined $5,000 over fan abuse. This has been a topic that's been going on almost daily for two weeks now. And like there's been, been more activity on social media in the last few days about it. Um, what's your take on this, G? Um. I feel like you have to make a stand and you have to make some sort of statement to say this is not acceptable. We're not condoning this sort of fan behaviour. And I feel like it seems like it's, in essence, it sort of seems like a slap on the wrist, but they have to do something. They have to be some form of punishment. And I feel like the club's copped the brunt of this. And I guess we wanted to see the fans, the individuals of those involved be reprimanded, but I, I feel like that would come in due course. It's not the first time that... Supporters have probably got the club in hot water, obviously, many years ago with the flares issues with the club with deducted points. So, I guess something had to be done. Something is done. I think people probably want more, but like I said, it probably come in due course. And I don't think the victory supporters have probably really done themselves any favour with the OSM statement, the activity they brought out during the week, saying that, like, 
it was probably an opportunity for them to come out and say, this is not the way we want to behave or condone ourselves when we're at the games and pretty much gave like a blanketed statement saying, can we please, when you're at the games, do not go into anything political. Let's just keep it secular. Let's just talk about football. And really it was a good opportunity to come and say and stamp it out. Yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure if I read if it was a victory fan, but I know someone has been charged in relation to the uh, Josh Cavallo uh, homophobic abuse there. So I think someone uh, has taken the floor for that, which is good. But like you said, G, it's, it's, uh, it was a common theme for the A-League's old administration to, you know, set out something bad happens and they just, you know, they wouldn't even give them a fine or anything. They just warn them and nothing would happen after that. So it's good to see they're actually doing something about it, even if it is only $5,000, it's a start. So it's good to see that happen. And other news, uh, Jason Cummings has officially become a Mariner. So this guy's got a bit of a cult following. What do you know about him? Yeah, this I'm really excited for. I think me and Dom were, were getting up and about just as the prospect in the room of just hearing that the cum dog was coming and he's came and I'm loving it. I'm all for it. I know there's a lot of people that are kind of uh, knowing that he's a bit of a larrikin off the field, but I feel like he's a great character for the game. I feel like he's probably like a Matt Simon-esque type of character and type of player which is great and I feel like he's very skillful he's got a good resume he lit it up years ago in Scotland and I feel like he's lost his way a bit on field but I feel like coming to the Mariners is probably a good opportunity to recapture the form he's not 30 yet he's only 26 so he's not really close to coming to the end of his career at all so I feel like his background in Scotland came to the A-League to rejuvenate his career it's sort of a very similar part to Jamie McLaren and he's got the potential to become a Jamie McLaren-esque sort of player or providing that spark and it's a good piece of business. They didn't have to fork out much for him. There was no transfer fee. There was no strings attached. It was pretty much Dundee FC said, mate, we're not going to, we don't see you as part of being part of the club anytime soon or any further. I've been fellow Scotsman. The Mariners coaches said, yeah, I'll take him. I want him. And thank you for bringing him. Cannot wait to see this man spark it up and light up the league. Yeah, we're saying on the last pod, we'll hear together the cum dog. Just, yeah, just the thought of him will, we'll, you know, absolutely buzzing just to think about the cum dog in the A League. But it, aside from all the off field stuff, obviously he's going to bring a lot of character and value to the A League. But he's a quality player. As you said, G, he's lost his way in the last couple of years at Dundee, but he's got the experience of playing in England and Scotland at the highest level, basically. So he had that FA Cup double against Liverpool. So he brings a spark that I don't think many players in the A-League possess. Just this, you just don't know what you're going to get from him. He could go on for 90 minutes and do nothing. He can come off the bench and score a double. So I think this is just a bang on signing from the Mariners. It's zero risk. If they don't like him, his contract will run out very soon and they can just wash their hands. And, you know, at least they had a try, which is a good thing to see the Mariners moving forward with such a quality striker like the Cumdog. Yeah. And it wasn't just off field things that had Dundee say, listen, we're probably not going to keep going with you. He's had injury troubles before. So I feel like if they can keep him fit, the Mariners and the fitness staff work with him, the conditioning staff work with him, and they can get him right for games, he will be a good player for them and will have the impact we're expecting him to have. So next on the next segment is called Scoring a Worldie. This is where we talk about football from across the world. Uh, Roy Hodgson has returned to management in England. With Watford in relegation trouble, Cleo Ranieri was sacked, and Hodgson, the, the old veteran, former England and Crystal Palace boss, has taken charge. Yeah, interesting move. He's back, Hodgson. Um, he's very much a man that's very simple, isn't he? He's almost very similar to Sam Allardyce in the way he goes about it. There's no frills. There's no nothing flashy. It's good old-fashioned football, and that's that's it. I feel like he'll steady the ship. 
he's got a, a group of players that are probably going to suit his game style because they're not like extravagantly flashy or skillful. They're probably going to be what he wants them to. You'll get out what he. How am I going to phrase this? I feel like he'll be a good acquisition for him. Is what I'm trying to say. I feel like he's he fits Watford's playing group or what he wants to achieve. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, he, he's like you said with Big Sam. There's only two managers that can really survive a relegation race like that, right? Big Sam was just notorious for coming in six months, the six month contract, get a team out of relegation, get a two year deal, get sacked, and then just find the next relegated team to bring back up. Obviously, he was in retirement as well. He's 70 years old, so could be out of it a little bit. Watford are in the mud a little bit right now. Um, yeah, the Ranieri only had, I think, two wins out of 11 games he was in charge. Ranieri now holds two of the shortest Premier League managerial reigns in the history of the Premier League. When he was at Fulham before, it was 108 days and now 117 days with Watford. So it's sad to see Ranieri go. Obviously, everyone's got a soft spot for him from the Leicester days. But I think Roy Hodgson is, uh, yeah, like you said, a no-fields type manager and he could save Watford. It's going to be a real interesting relegation scrap since the title is basically over in the Premier League. Yeah, it's interesting to see how long his tenure will be there. Obviously, it's infamous the manager merry-go-round at Watford. He's the 11th manager since they got first got promoted to the Premier League back in the 2015-16 season. So they're getting more than a manager per season the way they've been going. So it's interesting to see now it's he the man just decided to ship until they find the right guy or he's the right guy going forward. Watford have had, I believe, five managers since they last kept the Premier League clean sheet. So if that says anything about their struggles when they come up and down from the Premier League, it's yeah that, that you can't say any more than that but I hope Roy Hodgson does well I don't think Watford will survive and I think he'll have to uh, battle out another season in the championship and up the other end of the table uh, Mo Salah is uh, set to be a free agent in the summer of 2023 so Liverpool haven't really resigned into a new contract uh, they've been trying but there's been disputes he'll be 30 by the time he becomes a free agent but people will be lining up to sign you'd think wouldn't they yeah, absolutely. He's one of the best players in the world at the moment. As soon as he signed for Liverpool, he's just taking his game to another level. We knew he'd be skillful, but we didn't know he'd be world-class. And I think you look at his stint from Liverpool to now in five years, the body of work he's put on has been phenomenal. And you'd think that he's worth every penny he's asking for. It's interesting that he doesn't seem like the, he doesn't seem like the type of character that would have like this sort of standoff situation with a club. Like, he, he, he comes across as calm, as likeable. He doesn't come across as arrogant or someone about, like, money's an influence for him. But obviously, he feels like, I've put in so much work. I've like basically, we're in this position we are because of the work of me and the likes of others have been putting in his goal tally, his assist tally speaks for itself. And I feel like he's probably worth every penny he's asking for. And it's strange that Liverpool just have not pulled the trigger and said, yeah, you're going to stay here beyond 2023. Listen, he's going to be over... 30 or over by the time he leaves the club. But there's going to be a bunch of European giants wanting to snap him up. And if he's, if he's for free, they're going to absolutely want to do that. So Liverpool have to come up with something quickly. Yeah, 100%. And as, as you said, they, they should pay him everything. You know, he is their best player. And you can really see them struggle without him uh, attacking-wise. So I think the only thing holding Liverpool off is that he is a free agent in 2023. So clubs can't start negotiating with him until January 1st, 2023. 
So they've got a whole year to sort this out. Obviously, just to get his name out of the press, it would be a lot easier to just lock him down now. I wonder if they're trying to hold off to drop his value a bit, see if he comes back from the African Cup of Nations a bit, you know, tired and doesn't score as many goals. So his value will drop a little bit. But with all these agents, Yamina Raiola's and all those, you know, big fat agents that just take everyone's money, they get into their players' ears and they tell them how much they're worth and how much other clubs are offering them. So I'd say if it was up to Salah, he would have re-signed by now, but... I don't know who his agent is. I'd say it'd be a Raiola or someone along those lines. I'd say that they're just saying, look, hold off, get an offer from another club and then get Liverpool to match it. Because if you're Real Madrid or someone and you miss out on Haaland or Mbappe and you're throwing 600K at Salah, Salah's just going to go to Liverpool and say, listen, this is what they're offering me. I'm going to go there, offer me 600K. So I think this will keep going until January 2023. Another Premier League news there, doing what a lot of people start to think the A-League should do and they've hit pause for a week. Yeah, it was a smart decision. I think there was a, the squads had been stretched to the max. You look at Leeds, Masao Bielsa, he wasn't taking any postponements. Whatever games were coming, he was taking them and he had pretty much like a Premier League under 23s side most weeks. So you could understand for the managers why they would be happy for the players, right, we need this break. They were just getting absolutely stretched out to the max, or even like they're just games being postponed, so they weren't getting any real rhythm going. I think it's a good move. Just stop, play for a week, just see how things go, assess the situation a week later. And obviously, there's going to be an international break coming up as well, so there's going to be a couple of weeks off now for the Premier League players just to refresh themselves and rework. Yeah, and a good thing that a few of the Premier League clubs with new managers, so the two examples that I've seen is Newcastle and Aston Villa, they're using this opportunity as a preseason camp. So Gerard's gone into the Villa side. I think uh, Newcastle are in Dubai for obvious reasons and uh, or Saudi Arabia. And they're just going in and just basically teaching their philosophy to their players, something that you can't really do in a mid-season opportunity. So it's great for them. They can really, you know... With, with all these COVID postponements, these players are coming back from a week in isolation and having to play 90 minutes. So it's almost like another preseason, which would be really good for them. And I think the quality of the Premier League will go up as a result of this. And we'll move on now to scouts in the stand. So the Matildas have had a hot start to the Asian Cup. They smashed Indonesia 18-0. Sam Kerr became the records goal scorer for Australian national team. And uh, then they took care of the Philippines 4-0 in a pretty cruisy performance. But tonight, the Socceroos have a must-win fixture. They're um, third in the group. There's a playoff looming if they don't get a good result tonight. And uh, how do you think they'll go? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Socceroos. I think it's a good opportunity for some players that hadn't really got the chance before and have come in now. Tilio, Joel King, Kyle Rouse. This is good. This is what we want to see. We want to see young players in the A-League men's competition coming into the senior setup and having an impact. I think people just want to like just talk down the quality of the league and look, nothing ever happens out of it. It's not that good. Look, it's it's a development league for these kids to come in and show what they're worth. Look, this could be to make or break of these players' careers, these international fixtures that are coming up because all eyes are on you now. It's an international stage. I think this is perfect for them. And now we're getting more minutes in the international stuff. They know what it's like to play against elite talent against the rest of the world. Be coming up against competition they wouldn't be familiar with as well in like Vietnam and then they're going to play Oman later in the week. I think it's fantastic for them and I think it's really good that I guess some clubs weren't allowed to weren't allowing their players to go over because it wasn't an official break. And then Graham Allen, all right, A League, your place, it's time to shine now. And I think that's great. The A League now have a platform and they've got they're going to have some players from that league playing but wouldn't normally get the opportunity. So I think that's just great. That's 
what I'm really excited about to see, see players that play in the A-League but wouldn't normally get an international call-up, get a call-up and have some sort of impact to show that this league is good, the players coming out of it are good. Yeah, 100%. And like you said on the A-League, you look at how many of the A-League players now that play in Europe or uh, in uh, other, other forms of Asian competitions, how many of them started in the A-League, got a couple of appearances at the Socceroos level thanks to Arnie coming in and look at him now, like a uh, prime example of that would be um, Riley McGree. He's, he's just gone on to bigger and better things. Even someone like Alwyn Mobile when he was at United and he's playing in Denmark now. So you just look through that whole list and basically all of them have had A-League roots, even if it's through a youth system. So it's really, really good to see. And just before we get to the Matildas there, we really need to win this game in the next two games and convincingly to get that uh, goal difference up because in the next set of fixtures, our last two, we have Japan at home, which would just be a crucial, crucial match. That'll basically determine if we finish third or second. And we really don't want to go into the uh, South America pool again. But if we do, we know what happened last time. So if Uruguay wants smoke again, come down to ANZ Stadium <laughs> and John Aloisi will just score another penalty on you. Yeah, well, it looks like Uruguay in contention for being that South American team. In the moment, there's four teams that could finish fifth, which... Australia may face. It's Colombia, Peru, Chile, and Uruguay. They are no easy beats. That is quality opposition that you're going to have to face, and they need to get these results in this cup just to make their lives a bit more easier to get to Qatar. Well, if you look at the last World Cup qualifications, New Zealand had to go through the South America route, and they ended up versus Peru, and Peru did a number on them. And then um, we versus Peru in that, that World Cup, I'm fairly sure, didn't we? Unless I'm getting yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and then, yeah, exactly. So... They're no pushovers. Obviously, you look at Colombia, Chile, and Uruguay on the back end of their kind of golden eras, if you will, or their you know best players as Suarez, as Falcao, Hamas Rodriguez, Alexis Sanchez. You know these superstars coming towards the twilights of their career. So it could be a lot easier in that sense, but you never want to have to go through a playoff. We've automatically qualified for the last couple, and I can't see why we can't do the same for Qatar. I would love Chile to come out. Just like they have the best best supporter groups traveling wise a lot of south americans in australia as well so yeah the the chilean supporters are just like i got i got when i was a kid i got um got lost at the olympics ended up with the chilean supporters at the the football (laughs) and it was um i was only little but they just like they took me in and made me one of theirs it was just the best day ever at football i've ever had (laughs) so i'd love for chile to come out um i wouldn't like to lose to them but i think it'd be great to see chile come out and play australia just for the fun yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting with Chile, but their best player at the moment is an Englishman, Ben Diaz-Burr. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a cult hero yeah, as well. Yeah, uh, the, the, the story behind that is really interesting, how he did a, a fact uh, thing with, uh, I think it was Blackburn's social media page, and they said, tell us something we don't know about you. And he said, I'm actually half Chilean. And then football manager picked that up and put his nationality as half Chilean. And then the Chilean national coach somehow picked up on that through their scouting department and, He's, he's their best player now. He's the face of Coca-Cola in Chile. So this is absolutely crazy what happens through the world of social media and football manager. And the Matilda site uh, at 1 o'clock a.m. played Thailand. This one I am really keen for. When the draw was announced, I really wanted to play Thailand because in 2018, Thailand nearly knocked us out of the competition at the semi-final stage. And even though Australia won, it was probably one of the most lackluster Matildas performances I've seen in about 10 years of watching them. So it's kind of a dead rubber in that we've already qualified for the next round, but I really want to see them just put like a massive score on Thailand tonight just to just push that to the history bins. I don't feel like Gustavin's going to treat it as a dead rubber. He's just been playing strong side after strong side. He's not been, <laughs> there's been no mercy. I feel like that 18-0 performance in Indonesia or 9-0 up at half time are just like, 
You just got to do what Germany did against Brazil in that 2014 World Cup semi-final. Do not go out there and score any more goals. And they're just like, no, nah, we'll kick another nine. Like Sam Kerr was it's like very much like Archie Thompson against America Samoa. Just <laughs> tormenting his defenders. And then again, they 4-0 against the Philippines. I feel like it's going to be a similar result to the to the Philippines game against Thailand. I don't think they're going to be taking it easy, even though they're already through. Yeah, and that that game did remind me of those uh, Oceania qualifiers that we used to play back in the day, you know, the 31-0 against American Samoa, and we were just tearing apart Papua New Guinea and, you know, New Caledonia and stuff like that. So it's good to see, obviously, I think the Philippines game was a little, a slight, just the slightest bit of a worry. I know it's 4-0, it looks like a smacking, but Philippines actually sat back and defended relatively well and the Socceroos couldn't, uh, the Matildas, my bad, couldn't uh, open up that defence in the first half, so... Hopefully, give some of the the young the younger players a go, and I think we should should be able to breeze through and, and you know secure the top spot in the group. With the the the, uh, the Philippines game, they actually had the same basic formation as Indonesia did, but the athletes are all from the US college system, so they were just mm. able to keep up with Australia longer than Indonesia were, who were just brushed aside physically very quickly. So I don't think that's going to be an issue when it comes to the knockout stages because you can't really do that. In, in knockouts, you can't just sit back and try and maintain goal difference. You have to try and play at some point in the game. But, yeah, it was a bit of a worry they couldn't break them down in the first half when they, they were dominating possession. Yeah, and I just want to say, so, like, there was a lot of social media talk and a lot of articles written, you know, that they should have played a week aside. But the whole point of this tournament is to, obviously, yeah, go through to the knockout stages. And if you're playing two or three games with your, your B squad and then suddenly in the round of 16 you just put together your best squad, they don't have that chemistry of playing together and, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So I completely agree. Even if it is an 18-0 victory, good. That's how that's a more confidence boost. That's what the goal. Americans do. And that's what Gustafsson did when he was the assistant coach there. But yeah. also he's been playing experimental and second string sides in the friendlies. And uh, that's why he's always been saying all along that he will play the full strength, full tactical side in the tournament. So he's stuck true to his word so far. Yeah, and yeah, those, well, those those players have just been, you know, they've been building up to this for years, and you know, all the all the pre-tournament stuff, their training camps and stuff. You don't expect the best players to come in and play one game in the group stage. Like that's what they're there for, and it happens in a lot of sports. You just have to play your best players. I don't get this rotation thing. It's it's not just a muck around cup. It's the Asian Cup, and you know, we're generally fighting for glory here. So, yeah, credit to him for sticking to his guns and playing the best players. Yeah, and I also don't like the um the push for younger players to be given a shot just for the sake of it. So historically in the men's game, Ronaldo, the Brazilian one, he went to the 94 World Cup, didn't play a minute. It was was in every training session like he was going to play. And Messi played, I think, maybe one and a half games in 2006. They both ended up okay. You don't have to rush the new kids in just because they're there. You You can bring them in when you need them to be right and make them ready. Yeah, and you sort of... I sort of feel for Gustavin in this scenario because you, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I feel like in these friendly tournaments, he was kind of coming under fire for not picking strong squads and giving players a run, but maybe wouldn't be playing at these tournaments. I mean, he's arriving at the tournaments and now the, the criticism is, well, he's playing too strong of a side. So he's like, he must go, <laughs> what do you want me to do here? Yeah, yeah, he did say that in one of the press conferences. He said that people want me to pick the strong side. Then when I do, they say they should play, I should play a weak side. <laughs> He let, the, he let the, the, the nice demeanor drop just a second there. It was very satisfying to see, I think. Let his results do the talking and they have so far. Yeah. Uh, so the soccer is kick off in eight minutes. So we'll move on to the last segment. And that's banging on a winner. So 
Manchester United apparently casually just leaked that Jesse Lingard will be leaving in June. This is now. This has been even. This has been like a, a normal thing for fans that, that you hang around at, at the stadium after the game and try and speak to the manager and try and spark up a combo with the players. Everyone did TikTok user Fez the Red has spotted Man United gaffer Ralph Rangnick and he's just speaking to him after the game. He's like, "Oh, surely, surely we're not getting rid of Lingard." And then casually, just like, "No, he's leaving at the end of the summer." Like, <laughs> 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 no, he's gone. He's, he's not. He's not part of my plan. It's just, like, it's just so casually, but I couldn't believe what the Man United manager has just come out and told the fans, like, "Yeah, he's not part of the plans." Like, you have to question, like. Is Jesse Lingard watching this one? Well, hang on a minute. I'm at the club. <laughs> like, I'd like to have known first if I'm part of your plans going forward or not, whether there's been discussion saying, listen, Jesse, we're going to play out the remainder of the year, but we don't have a place for you. Yeah, but there's a bean counter at the top of Man United who was, like, telling clubs, oh, no, we don't know if we want to sell him or not and try and push up the price a little bit and hard bargain slightly. And then someone's just put on TikTok that, no, nah, they're selling. He's gone. He's done. Yeah, look, I watched the video because I hadn't seen this before G showed it to me. I don't know. He does say something about the summer. Maybe he's saying he's on summer vacation right now because they all are at the moment. But Lingard's departure was always inevitable for me after his successful loan spell at West Ham um, and his contract expiring. So I wouldn't mind seeing him at another club. He's kind of been wasted at United and he's a real talent. But look, for Ragnik, I hope that those discussions have taken place or even Lingard's come to the club and said, listen, I'm signing for another team at the end of the summer. I can't be here anymore i kind of like the transparency though if he if he wants to go out and talk to the fans like that he's going to become a fan favorite at united because that's something that's really been lacking at a real top top elite level in england is the transparency between the managers and the fans there's always those media generic responses you know if if someone in the press asks him that question you probably go oh you know we're not discussing it right now we'll talk about it later on so i like it a bit of honesty and you know hopefully lingard can go to west ham and not newcastle he's a no-nonsense manager that's yeah, what I like absolutely. about him. He's, and he's not no nonsense, no fuss in the sense of like Sam Allardyce or Hodgson. Like his football is very, very systems-based and it's all clinical. But just the way he comes across is just, he's very blunt. He's just very straight talk. He goes, yes, this is happening. No, it's happening. If he's not happy, he'll more than happy to voice his opinion. There's been plenty of games for United this season where Ole would have probably been a bit more reserved and probably towed the media line a bit and like spun a narrative whereas Ralph just like no we just we're playing well today and we just suck <laughs> which is <laughs> sort of refreshing as the fans because as a fan you're like hitting your head against the wall like going we're not playing well and then you hear all out to the gang going hey but we're all right like, no we're not and then <laughs> just Ralph coming out straight saying I'm like they didn't play well today I'm like thank you and a bit of honesty now <laughs> I'm enjoying this yeah Ragnik is definitely a no-nonsense manager but his resume speaks for itself, and I think he would have been a bit more professional about it if he was still at a Salzburg or a uh, RB Leipzig like he's been before. And obviously, the global status of United, I think he's just had enough of the questions and he's just gone, you know what, screw it. You can all know now, so you can stop asking these questions. Yeah, and I, I reckon it would be likely that he, Lingard does end up back at West Ham yeah. and just recapture that loan form he had. Yeah, he's only on, um, on a short-term deal, so he's got nothing to lose, does he, anyway? Yeah, he's a, he's a free agent at the end of the season. Clubs can negotiate from January 1, so I'm sure he's been in there. I know Newcastle have been really interested in him, but United are placing, I think, a $14 million loan fee, so have fun with that, Newcastle. Oh, they got that. They got that in their back pocket. <laughs> right, so the soccer is kick-off in four minutes, so I think that's tonight's episode done and dusted. Um we will see you next week, hopefully talking about an Australian winning game and hopefully they've avoided the playoff by then. 
And also, hopefully, the Matildas have um, have secured another win and have a favourable route to the final in the knockout stages. So, so long, everyone. Thanks again for joining us, Dom, and see you next week.